If you find Unfound's content informative, please support this podcast at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I analyze a well-known 9-11 disappearance. I go over the newest details on the disappearance of Crystal Rogers. I talk about a bomber who was never caught. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my new diet. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for September 11th, 2023. Hello, everyone. This is Unfound Live. I know it seems like we were just here or something like that, but it has been a week. A lot has gone on. I hope everybody is uh, doing well. I hope everybody had a great week since last Monday. And I have, a, of course, a spectacular magnificent El Magnifique live show planned for you tonight. Got a lot to cover. And in fact, I'm sure I have so many uh, stories that I'd like to cover that I will not get to all of them in the next two hours, but I'll do my best. It won't be up for a lack of trying that I won't uh, get to all of them. It'll just be, just run out of time. It's like uh, that old artistic saying, you know, for artists, uh, artists uh, never actually finish what they're working on. They just simply walk away. So uh, maybe that might just have to be uh, the way it is tonight that once uh, 11 p.m. Eastern gets here around that time, I'll just have to walk away from this microphone uh, just because it's time, not because... Uh, I've uh, completed everything. That's just the way it goes sometimes. And I see everybody getting in here. I uh, want to say hi to nephew, Ch- nephew Charles. What's going on? Melody, Charlotte. Charlotte, I'm going to answer a question from you tonight. Jasmine, I got a bunch of links there. I hope everybody will check out the links that I posted there. Mark the Real says uh, she's made it. Hello, Kathy. Valerie, the Real says, I've been able to be on Mondays mornings lately. Think Tank. Yeah, we've missed you, the Real. We're wondering where you have been. Uh, Charlene says, uh, haven't tuned in for the live show for a bit. Well, you got to make time in your schedule, Charlene. Hello, Twinkle. Stephanie. Uh, Betty coming to you from Denver, Colorado. Been there. Well, Betty, that's where my nephew Charles is, and he's in the chat as well. And Sheree, uh, Assistant Sheree, will be doing the moderating, as is usually the situation for these live shows. And thank you, Sheree, for making time on this Monday night. Before I get too far into this, in uh, memory, uh, given that today is September 11th, 2023, I think it would be appropriate if we take a moment of silence to remember everybody who lost their lives 22 years ago today and uh, remember all 
of those people who lost their lives um, in the aftermath of that going after all of those terrorists, including Osama bin Laden. So let's just all take a moment of silence, and then I will get into the agenda for tonight's live show. All right. Thank you very much for all of that. Thank you for uh, taking a moment. So what's going on with me since last Monday? Well, I played some average disc golf this past weekend. And uh, I could have finished actually really, really well. But... um, some really stupid mistakes. I am throwing off the tee as well as I ever have and uh, throwing off the tee well enough to, I don't, I'm not saying I would have won my division this weekend. The guy that won was just, you know, way ahead, just shooting lights out, but I could have gotten a top three or top four, but that's not how it ended up. And it has everything to do with upshots and putting. So I was out this morning at about 10 a.m. Uh, working on those things, although I don't have another tournament until I think the beginning of October or something. So I got plenty of time to work on those things because it, it, it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's an epidemic or anything, but this is what kept me from finishing well at uh, you know Orlando as well. Same thing. Same thing in that uh, throwing off the tee very well, but everything else not good at all. And it's costing me more strokes. Uh, I think I figured in Orlando it cost me like 15 strokes, which is like, you know, uh, and it's five strokes per round. I mean, it's crazy. And then I figured out over here, and in, in even at my local course on Saturday, uh, between some bad up shots and missed putts, cost me seven or eight strokes there too. So I mean, I mean that's forever. I mean four strokes around, losing four or five strokes around due to those things. It, it just should not be happening. So, but I haven't been working on it. So time to put bring that to I guess what we might call the front burner. Uh, yeah, Charlotte, Kathy, Karen, what's going on, Betty? You're very welcome, uh, for the moment of silence. So that's what's going on in my disc golf life. And, uh, like I said, I don't have a, a a tournament that counts until the end of the last Saturday or Sunday of this month, or maybe the, certainly, um, the first weekend of October. So it's going to be a little while. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. But certainly my rating is getting hurt by me not playing well. But I'm really, really, really trying to take a long-term view regarding all of this. Betty says, I just became aware that my boyfriend's nephew plays professional. Is there a semi-professional? Oh, yeah, there's professional disc golf. Uh, Betty, uh, what is... uh, your boyfriend's nephew's name who plays 
professionally. Maybe I've seen him on some of the videos that I've watched. Uh, hello, Hazel. What's going on, Hazel? Good to see you. And Betty says that her son loves disc golf as well. As well, he should. And in other news, I uh, did watch the United States men's uh, soccer team this weekend. They didn't play especially well, but they weren't playing that great uh, of a team, Uzbekistan. And the men's team ended up winning 3 nothing. I think there's a lot of people thought that they should have won maybe 5 or 6 nothing, but... I don't, you know, as I don't know how seriously they take these friendlies. It really doesn't uh, really mean anything. It's not qualifying for like the World Cup or anything. So I don't know how seriously they're supposed to take uh, some of these matches, especially since the guys on the, the men's team have their own teams to go back to in Europe or the MLS here or whatever else. And they might be a little worried about getting hurt. So I don't know how serious I'm supposed to take it, but. Um, I watched the women's world cup, uh, and I watched the men's team, uh, when it's on, I'm, you know, I take an interest in it, uh, being that it is my country that's being represented. It's the same way like with like track and field or some other sports. So I watched that and uh, they're going to be actually on tomorrow night as well. And I'll be watching that too. They're playing Oman, the country of Oman, which is in the middle East. And then uh, Betty's going to find out. Hello, uh, hello, Patty. Hello, Ashley, everybody. Uh, good to see all of you. Thank you for making time on this uh, Monday night, of course, uh, remembering uh, that this is the 22nd anniversary of September 11th. And as we continue tonight, let's continue to remember all the people who died uh, innocently on that day and all of the soldiers and Marines and uh, Air Force members and Naval Navy members who have uh, spent the last 22 years going after terrorists all over the world. Uh, Hazel said, Women's World Cup here in New Zealand was amazing. You have an amazing country, Hazel. I don't think that I will ever make it to your country because I don't like flying too much. But they really showed off your country, uh, and you have a beautiful country down there. In the Southern Hemisphere, very fortunate. And then uh, the Steelers, uh, as I've stated maybe the last couple years, I'm not as big a fan as I used to be regarding my Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know why that is. Um, probably a lot of things put together, but it, they were on TV locally. I did watch them for a little bit on Sunday. They stunk. I think a lot of people were surprised by that. They got creamed by the 49ers, and it certainly didn't help me in my NFL picks, but what are you going to do? And uh, there was a time when the Steelers would lose, and I would just take it um, so seriously. You know, they'd lose, and I mean, going back to like late 90s into the 2000s, even maybe as recently as 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, something like that, when they would lose, I would just be like, son of a gun. These days, just, uh, just, uh, I'm just a different me, I guess. But they got, they got really their butts kicked at home, so who knows how their uh, season is going to go. I'm, I mean, I'm serious. When I lived in Las Vegas, it was a big deal. I'd get together with my buddy Brad, would have some great food and, and all of that. 
But these days, and even when I moved here to Florida, I'd go to the Steelers bar with my brother and his wife, but it's changed over. It's not a Steelers bar anymore. And maybe it's that. It's a lot of things that I'm just not as into it anymore. So uh, Ashley says she has subscribed to the channel. And what she's pointing out, everybody, uh, as you can see, I have a little uh, the uh, nameplate for the the show tonight. Have you subscribed to this channel yet? Have you subscribed? Have you done that? And while I'm on that topic, please remember to give this uh, live show a thumbs up, no matter if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, whatever you can do on Facebook, uh, stars or hearts or whatever else you can do, uh, that would certainly help us out. And certainly I'd like for you to consider uh, supporting what we do here. I know if you're tuning into this live show that you really uh, find Unfound's content to be, uh, you know, grade A. So if you consider contributing and uh, at either here on YouTube, hitting the join button below or patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast or paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast, uh, we would appreciate it. And Valerie says, I watched children of 9-11. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, children lost their uh, parents on that day or at least one parent. Yeah. Twinkle says, I think we get less radical about sports as we age. Yeah, except for you, Twinkle, and your Kansas City Chiefs, right? Uh, yeah, I need to watch that, Angela. Hazel has purple, cry- purple uh, crying for the Steelers. Hazel, maybe you're a Steelers fan. Charlotte, my son is a big Cleveland Browns fan and a big Cincinnati Reds fan, and when he was growing up, he would get so mad when they lost. Well, if he's a fan of either of those teams, then he must have been mad quite a bit, Charlotte. MT, since my husband's a Cowboys fan, was stuck in Pittsburgh over the weekend for work. He was not very happy about it. Yeah, and then the Cowboys won. Yeah, uh, they rolled over the Giants, and what a better team to roll over. Right, MT? Right. And I should say, um, regarding September 11th and the people who were lost, that uh, some of you know uh, for a short time before Unfound started that I did that other uh, podcast, true crime podcast with a, you know, a co-host and her brother actually died. Uh, he was in one of the towers on September 11th. I'm not sure how many of you knew that, but she lost her brother on 9-11. Uh, I think he worked for one of the investment companies uh, and um, so he died. So I don't, you know, it's, something to add into all of this. Okay, now uh, let's get into the true crime part of the show, which we'll have now about an hour and uh, 45 minutes, and I think I'm going to need all of it. Uh, But I do have one question to answer from Charlotte before the night is over, and if any of you have any questions that you would like to ask me, that come to your mind. It does not have to be true crime related. Could be movie related, could be disc golf related, could be music related, could be food related, uh, anything like that. Uh, anything that comes to mind, I will do my best to answer it uh, during the course of the show tonight. Oh, maybe one more thing about myself. I've decided to, uh, I don't know, necessarily know if it's called, you know, what you would call it a diet, 
but I have started a new thing, uh, some fasting. And I'm going to be, uh, I started yesterday actually, and I'm going to be doing a thing where I only eat between noon and 8 p.m. And so then from 8 p.m. to the next day at noon, I cannot eat anything. And I, you know, I've been looking at this fasting stuff and trying to figure out what would be most workable for me and my lifestyle and my schedule and everything. And I, I started doing that yesterday. So I'm done eating uh, for today. In fact, I was done an hour and 15 minutes ago. And I will not be able to eat anything until noon Eastern time tomorrow. Now I can eat anything I want, but I am going to, of course, stay away from too much junk. But uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, next Monday, I will uh, give you an update. And there's, of course, there's all different schedules that you can go on. Uh, this is called the 16-8 plan. You can do, I guess, 12 and 12 or all sorts of different things. But the 16 hours, no eating, and then eight hours of eating um, seem to work uh, best for me. If any of you have ever tried that, why don't you uh, type about it in the in the chat tonight? All right, let's go to uh, the first topic. And being that we are now back to um, covering disappearances, of course, we had the update episode uh, two weeks ago. And then a week and a half ago, we had the seventh anniversary episode. So... We uh, This past Friday, uh, we got back to what we do best at Unfound, and that is covering disappearances. And the poll question was when Brandon Barron's wagon is found, will, Bran uh, will Brandon himself be found? And the 72% of the people in the discussion group said, no, no. If the wagon is found, it, uh, Brandon will not also be automatically found. I guess what I'm saying is you find the wagon, will Brandon be with it? And 72% of the respondents said no, 28% said yes. I really did not get into this question specifically in the think tank. And if you'd like to be part of the think tank, is um, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And you have to sign up at the $12 a month level or above to be part of it, but everybody loves it. But uh, being, even though I did not specifically ask that question, although we did talk about the wagon and, and everything, um, my guess is probably it would be exactly the opposite. I'm going to guess 75% of the people in the, uh, discussion group probably would have said yes. If the wagon's found, Brandon will be found with it. Given that a majority of the people in the think tank yesterday evening stated that they believe that there was no foul play and Brandon walked off into the woods or had an overdose or something like that, that would seem to me to believe that he and his wagon probably will not be found too far from each other. But in the discussion group, it's kind of the opposite, but as I've said many, many, many times, it's not unusual for the discussion group to go one direction 
and the think tank to go the totally, totally, totally different direction. Very common. Betty says, waiting on him to tell me his name. My brother does fasting, has for two years. It's been amazing and life-changing. No more diabetes. Wow. Rockford says, my wife was a personal trainer. Look at you, Rockford. And swears by fasting for weight loss and other benefits. We do this together occasionally. Uh, Rockford, what kind of schedule do you do regarding that? Uh, Maybe myself and everybody else would be interested, given that your wife is a personal trainer and you both do that. Uh, Betty says the the player's name is Henry Scooter Roach is his name. Never heard of him, Betty. That's interesting. Okay, but thank you for getting his name. Not familiar uh, to me. So that uh, was the Brandon Baron poll. And I hope to, of course, be able to keep in contact with Daryl and Shelly Brandon's uh, parents. Of course, they were the guests. And in fact, they even appeared on video on Zoom for anybody who partakes in Unfound right here on the YouTube channel. Uh, moving on, I uh, got to give a heads up to all of you this Thursday. That's the day we usually do it. At 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be getting together for with Dr. Telesco. I will be not going down there. We'll be doing this uh, remotely. I will be here. She will be there in Southeast Florida uh, for her show. It'll be over on the Fisher College of Education and School of Criminal Justice channel. I know many of you have uh, watched Uh, her show before I'll be appearing and we will be discussing the disappearance and murder of Tyler North. And uh, even the other one we already have planned out for November. Uh, We've decided to um, do uh, feature some of unfound disappearances that have been resolved one way or another. So that's why Tyler North's, We'll be here in September, and I don't think I'm quite ready yet to talk about the next show I'll be doing with Dr. Telesco. So I'll have uh, an outline that I still have to put together. And we'll be going through, of course, the disappearance and the period in which he was missing, what people were thinking, and then how it got to be here in 2023 that his ex-wife and her boyfriend were charged with his murder And the understanding is that that trial will be starting, I think, in November. Why it's taking this long, I don't know. I mean, they've tried Steve Pankey twice in Colorado, uh, and we're still waiting here for Tyler North's trial. So uh, maybe Dr. Telesco and I will talk about that a little bit, why it's taken so long to come to trial as well. We'll just throw around some ideas, and I'm sure that – her assistants, some of the students uh, that help her on campus at Nova Southeastern University, they will be chiming in uh, on the show on Thursday evening as well. So once again, 7 p.m. Eastern uh, with me and Dr. Telesco, we'll be talking about Tyler North. And yes, that does mean that I will be missing trivia uh, on Thursday evening. Uh, It's fine. Uh, But my team has won three weeks in a row. We won four weeks in a row during the summer. And then we went several weeks where we didn't win at all. In fact, we barely even came in third some of the weeks. And now we're on a three in a row again. And we're very, I guess you could say we're very, very streaky 
would be a good word, but a lot of smart people uh, on that team. And that's why uh, I love it so much. And um, I'm a very competitive guy. Uh, I love winning. Uh, women. Ha! <laughs> uh, yeah, the Freudian slip. I love winning uh, quite a bit. And so as long as we keep winning, I'll keep showing up. Uh, Twinkle says, I look forward to the think tank each week. I've made friends and have learned so much as to how I go about investigating disappearances. Yeah, Twinkle. Uh, a lot of people love it. You should think about it. I think it could really enrich your life Sunday evenings. Um, uh, Coffee says, I paid my member and Patreon membership for a year to make sure I get to see all the Patreon videos with Ed and his hair. Ha! You got to, hey, if you're going to show up, you got to show up for the hair, Coffee. Thank you. And by the way, Coffee, I, I don't know if you noticed it, but you'd asked me uh, to make a recording of something. I sent that to you. You should be looking for that in an email uh, that uh, from WeTransfer. I, I don't know if you've downloaded that or not, but it won't be there forever. So please check your email, and it probably came through about five days ago. Uh, Valerie says, okay, now I want to fast. Well, you can do it too, Valerie. Uh, B- Betty says, I need to jump into the think tank you do. And uh, Strange says, haven't been there for a few years. Your hair's really grown. Well, mine has started to deplete. Sorry to hear that, Strange. Hope you're well. April Pitzer brought me to your channel. Okay, that's going way back. April Pitzer, that's like within the first couple years of Unfound's existence. Of course, she went missing from Newberry Springs, California. And uh, her mother was the guest. Uh what is the Ashley? What is the name of her channel? Not sure uh, whose channel, Ashley. What is the name of her channel? And Boston, thank you so much. Join the cool kids and become a member today. Yes, we are. Everybody who joins this channel is a cool kid, Boston. And thank you um, for contributing uh, tonight. I think what Boston has done has hit the super chat button for all of you on watching on YouTube. You can hit the little square with the dollar sign in it to uh, contribute if you think uh, we're providing great content here at Unfound. Rockford, fasting depends on how tense you want to make it. Women have to watch it based on their cycles, but can push as long as they can go most of the days of the month. Men don't have that constraint, obviously. Okay, thank you, Rockford. A little more on fasting. See, you never know what you're going to get into when you tune into the live show. You, you're tuning in for true crime, and here you're learning a little bit about fasting tonight. You never know. Never take this live show for granted. Patty Twinkle, listening to Unfound, maybe change how I look at things. Uh, that's what we're trying. However, sometimes our opinions differ. That's true, and that's okay. And uh, would love to see you in there, Ashley. Strange. I don't have any money, Ashley says. Uh, yeah. Oh, the Dr. Telesco channel. Uh, it's, uh, sure. Ashley, now you're now letting you know what is the name of her channel. Uh, thank you, um, for clarifying that. Thank you for Sheree. Um, the, the channel on Thursday night will be the, uh, Fischler college of education and school of criminal justice, YouTube channel. Uh, that's okay. Sheree, Sheree, you don't have to apologize. 
Uh, Kathy, Betty, being active in Unfound for over four and a half years has given me tons of insight into disappearances and other crimes. Love the think tank. Yeah, Kathy is a very, very strong supporter. Thank you for that, Kathy. So um, once again, uh, Dr. Telesco on Thursday night. All right. I know I teased this a couple times, but I don't want to leave all of you hanging. Uh, you know, I'm not one somebody that says, well, you need to tune in tonight because I'm going to talk about this. And then I leave it till the end uh, of the show just to make all you sit there. And well, but I still have a great show, of course, planned for the rest of the time. But uh, I did say that I would read Steve Pankey letter, Steve Pankey letter number two. Uh, I received it. Uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I don't check my mail every day. I maybe only check my mail once a week, even though it's right downstairs. Just the way I am. Uh, and uh, so I got this. I think this came in sometime last week. So this would be Panky letter number two. You'll remember that I wrote to him right around the time I was going to see my dad in Pennsylvania. Uh, Steve wrote back. I got that letter when I got back from Pennsylvania around August 2nd. And then it took me a little time to write to Steve again. And so now I am going to be reading to you letter number two. And just to verify, is that going to zoom in or what's it going to do here? This is the letter uh, right here that I'm holding here uh, for all of you in video. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm sorry you can't see the letter. So I'm going to read this letter to you and um, and what it shows me is I'm going to have to maybe look into a couple of things before I respond to him. Now, you should know, going back to letter number one, he made, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a woe is me type of situation letter. And one of the things that he brought up was about once again, he's bringing about, he brought up about religion and some sort of privilege or anything like that, something like that. And I uh, asked him about that. Well, he totally avoided that question in his letter. It does not even come up. I don't know if we're supposed to be surprised or not, but here you go. And I think what essentially he, he is saying in this letter is Ed, you don't know what you're talking about, but we'll get to that. I'm just going to read it. Hi, Ed. Thank you for your letter. Thank you for reading my four bullet point letter on your live YouTube. And I, I gave my word I would do that. And I did that. All of you um, got the listener here and watch it. I would encourage you to fact check what I write and air it on each of your monthly live podcasts. He loves the attention. According to the case discovery, so what he's talking about is, um, you know, they do discovery before trial happens. So everybody puts their cards, I guess, on the table. The prosecution, of course, if the prosecution collects anything, it must turn it over to the to the defense. That's the law. Uh, so Steve could, or any criminal, could get a fair trial. Uh, the prosecution is not allowed, I guess, to surprise the defense and withhold information that might, you know, be crucial to the case. So this is what's called discovery. Uh, the prosecution shows its evidence. 
the dev, the defense, you know, gets to look at all of it. Maybe then it starts planning out what it's going to be doing. And that's called discovery before a trial happens, before a jury is even selected. So that's what he's talking about here. I will admit when I first read this letter, I thought he was talking about the discovery channel. I will admit that according to the case discovery. And I'm not sure if he means before number trial, number one or number two, he didn't say 12 year old Janelle was suicidal in December, 1984. It is tragic when a physically healthy 12 year old suddenly dies in the discovery though. Janelle threatened suicide at a August or December 1984 party. Others intervened. Intervention can get violent uh, in the discovery. Also, he says it came up on uh, December 19th, 1984 and December 20th, 1984. Janelle gave friends notes saying they would never see her again. And these copies were in the discovery. Now I will tell you now, You know, I've been involved with the case as much as any, I guess, public citizen. And some of this is new to me. I know that Janelle had talked about going off to maybe find her biological mother. Remember, she was adopted. I heard that Janelle, um, you know, said that she thought somebody was following her. Remember, there was talk about the red, this red car. The friend talked about them being on the bus, and there was a red car following the bus. I can remember coming up at trial that Janelle said she hated her parents. But, you know, that comes out a lot of 12-year-old or teenagers' mouths. I'm not sure they mean it or not. Some do. But this is... um this is new to me uh, as far as uh, this coming up in discovery because I, although I was not there for every day of the trial, I've not gotten a transcript of the trial simply because to get it, how much money is that going to be? And I don't know how much I would really get out of it. But having followed both trials through – the news and you know the in the Greeley Tribune it was written the trial both times there were articles about it every day as long as they went on both in 2021 and 2022 i don't remember any of this stuff being brought up at the trial i don't remember i'm not saying it wasn't but if it was it's for some reason wasn't featured very prominently In the reporting, reminding all of you, the only time I ever spent in the courtroom was when I was called to testify. I was in there, right? They called me in when I was to go up to the stand. And as soon as I was off the stand or where they were done questioning me or whatever, uh, I left the courtroom. That's the only time I ever spent in there when I was there, either time. But this stuff is, uh, you know, and I know many of you, given that I was involved, given that I interviewed Steve, given it got such prominent attention and everything, I know many of you followed the trial and everything as well. So I'm asking all of you, these things that I'm reading, is this news to you? Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm forgetting something. Always possible. I have like 300 some disappearances that I have to keep straight in this head of mine. Always possible. But I will read this paragraph again. There is like another paragraph in a sentence, but I'm going to read this paragraph again. According to the case discovery, so the trial discovery, 
12-year-old Janelle was suicidal in December 1984. It is tragic when a physically healthy 12-year-old girl suddenly dies. And also in the discovery, Janelle threatened suicide at a December 1984 party. Remember, she went missing in December of 1984. Others intervened. That was in the discovery. And also in the discovery was on December 19th and December 20th. Janelle gave friends notes saying that they would never see her again. And they said that these notes were in the discovery. This is once again news to me. So, uh, you know, we got several people. We got over 50 people in the live show tonight. Uh, you know, um, uh, Sheree, what she's looking for is the YouTube channel for Dr. Telesco. Maybe you just want to type that in the comments if you could. Um, but I'm asking all of you again who are watching and listening tonight, these points that he wrote here, are they true? Now, you should know um, I'm going to look into this. Uh, although I don't think that the public defenders in trial number two – I don't know how – I don't know their names. I probably could find their names. I don't know if that'd be helpful. But um, I am thinking about contacting Steve's first lawyer, uh, last name Viorst, V-I-O-R-S-T, to see if he can verify this stuff. This would not, Being that Steve's writing it, it's not privileged anymore. I'm not asking – I would never ask the lawyer – uh, Mr. Viewers to invade any privilege or anything. That's not, you know, that's not what I do. But certainly if this was brought up into discovery, at least before the first trial, Mr. Viewers would know about this and he might be able to comment on it without, you know, you know, um, getting in trouble with Steve or the law or his ethics panel or anything else. So I, I'm sure I can track him down and see what he wants if anything, he wants to say about this. So that's paragraph number two. And so for paragraph number three, in 1984, shooting a dead body was a misdemeanor. Now, where this is coming from, I don't know. In 1984, partial dismemberment was a misdemeanor. Murder by headshot is an assumption, not a fact. So I guess what Steve is saying, yes, she had a shot, a bullet hole in her head, but that might not have been what killed her. Uh, and he says, jumping to conclusions is not justice. I will read that paragraph again. This is paragraph number three. In 1984, shooting a dead body, it was a body was a misdemeanor. In 1984, partial dismemberment was a misdemeanor. Murder by headshot is an assumption, not a fact. And jumping to conclusions is not justice. So I guess he says that I'm jumping to conclusions when I say that she died by a, a headshot. And then uh, the final sentence is, I am 100% innocent in the death and disappearance of Janelle Matthews. And just to make sure you all understand uh, that I'm not making this up, that is, although I don't know how to get it on here because of the weird camera, you can see Steve Pankey's signature at the bottom of the letter. So I'm not, you know, just drumming this up. I'm, this is not a fake Steve Pankey letter. This is certainly a real Steve Pankey letter with his signature on it. You can see it right there. So that is what he wrote. And uh, like I said, I think given that, you know, especially regarding uh, paragraph number two, I'll do what I can to try to look into a couple of these things, but I certainly, um, 
you know, does, does that ring, you know, once again, I know many of you followed it being that I was involved. This stuff about Janelle and suicide notes and saying they would never see her again. Is this all new to you? Is this all new to you? It's new to me. Maybe I've just forgotten. Or, do, you know, and it seems to me that this stuff should have been in the trial, but it doesn't seem that it was. At least it wasn't reported on. Uh, let's uh, see what everybody is saying. Uh yeah, Janelle was adopted. That's right, Kathy. Um, Shree says, once again, uh, Shree is my assistant. Uh, news to me, I don't think that's in the discovery or his initial attorney would have surely mentioned it. However, I've not seen the discovery, so maybe it got withheld. And then we have to start wondering about Shree about why, you know, what would be the reason that it got withheld. If it exists, I don't know why it would be withheld. You know that, but I'm not a liar. I shared it a while back and she said she already had that one. Oh, okay. Thank you, Ed. Uh, Charlotte says, even if she did say something about suicide, that doesn't matter. She was murdered, but I don't remember anything about her saying she wanted to commit suicide. Kathy, she was angry with her adoptive mom, uh, Mrs. Matthews, but I don't recall any stress placed on Janelle wanting to harm herself. And, you know, and if anybody were to remember anything, Kathy, I think you would, uh, I don't know how to know how to spell. Sorry, Ash, uh, Fischler, F-I-S-C-H-L-E-R. Uh, the Pro Wrestling Encyclopedia, who keeps notes from when they were 12? I didn't. I don't think that's true. All right, so what the Pro Wrestling Encyclopedia is saying, if these notes came out at the trial in, you know, in discovery in, let's say, 2021, that would mean they existed from 1984, and Pro Wrestling is saying, who would keep those notes all these years? So maybe a very good point, pro wrestling. Uh, Charlotte says he sounds completely insane. Pro wrestling agrees. Rockford jumping to conclusions may not be justice. Is also grasping for straws is not a defense. Touche, Rockford. Uh, Charlotte, he is a huge manipulator, huh? Kathy, uh, Charlotte says yes. Uh, the pro wrestling, uh, pro wrestling says yeah. This is absolutely me. Betty says he is playing mind, playing games, mind games. Well, we're going to uh, find out, Betty, uh, before I write him back. Uh, and we'll see. Once again, reminder, I asked some questions on that second letter uh, that I sent to him, and he totally avoided them. So, yeah. And then Valerie. And so if he's going to say things, though, uh, we're going to check out and see if he's lying or not. And, I, you know, I have to say that, so far, I don't think these two letters are helping him too much. Uh, Valerie, yeah, definitely mind games. He's locked up, but he still needs the attention. All right, so that is letter number two. I give all of you my word, the audience who is listening or watching tonight, anybody's listening, and all those people who sometimes don't, uh, don't tune into the live show. I will give you my word that I will get to the bottom of this if this stuff actually came up during Discovery. And if it did... Um, or it came out at the trial and I do know somebody who was the trial who I can contact who was there for a lot of the trial who I think uh, who took notes on the trial um, who may be able to help me out uh, with some of this as well. We'll see what he has to say about all this and we'll get to the bottom of this as to um, 
you know what the truth is. And if we discover that Steve is lying about all this, well, that's just going to make him uh, look more guilty. Of course, he's in jail. Uh, so I guess the jury thought he was guilty. Uh, Charlotte agrees with Valerie. Valerie, it's like he's trying to make things go in both directions. Guilty, but innocent. Uh, yeah, let me... Um, it's uh, this. Let me just... Let me check on my other... Whoops. Let me just do something very quickly just to check something. Yeah. Yeah, it's this. Uh, Ashley, just look for this in the... Uh, man, I can't type. There we go. That's the school. Don't be looking for Dr. Teleska. Her show is just part of a variety of shows that are on that channel. Uh, Dr. Telesco does not have her own channel on YouTube. She is part of the school's channel. All right. So that is uh, Steve Panky News. All right. Being that this is September 11th, this does give me, at least the anniversary, uh, this does give me a chance to weigh in on a, a disappearance mystery from... September 11th, and that is the disappearance of Snea and Philip. And I know many of you uh, know about this disappearance. And then I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go through everything. Uh, you know where she, what she did the day before, and everything, because it's not a disappearance uh, that we've covered. Uh, Snea, yes, uh, yes, and but I do want to put in my two cents on this. Now, if some of you don't know, to be very, very general in my description of this disappearance, she was a doctor in New York City and uh, September, she was like, worked the night shift and she was married and on the morning of September 11th, she was supposed to come home and never did. And then September 11th happened and she was never seen again. And her family believed, and I think maybe her husband, at least for a while, or maybe came around to that, believed that when September 11th happened, when the attack happened on the World Trade Centers, that being that she didn't live too far away from there, given that she was a doctor, that she went down to that location, and then she was one of the people who died when the towers collapsed. And we know that what thousands of people died, both in the buildings and the people who were right there at the base. You, of course, we know of all the police officers, uh, firefighters who were down there in their trucks. And you, you, and they've, you know, eventually, of course, did clear all that out. And you saw all these trucks that got crushed and, and everything else. And a lot of people died in the process. And, um, even going back to the interview I did with Dr. Telesco for an episode of Unfound last year, she talked about her September 11th um, experience. And, of course, she was a New York police, uh, New York City police, uh, police officer 
at that time working at, I think at the Academy when all of that happened and she, you know, gave, you know, what she remembers about that day being there. But the belief was that Snea, and once again, S-N-E-H-A and Philip, well, she went down there and then she got killed. And we know that anybody who was, who was harmed in the process of trying to help others that day has been memorialized since September 11th, 2001. Well, it wasn't, hasn't been clear if that actually happened. And in fact, there is an, uh, what I would call an alternate theory where some people believe that she actually might have died the night before. And there's a story about her going out shopping and maybe she and her husband were having marital issues and that there's a story that given she lives so close to ground zero that there was dust. And if she had really come home that morning that somebody would have seen her footprints going up to her door, but there were no footprints on and on and on. And her family, believing that she died helping people, um, you know, petitioned uh, to get her memorialized with everybody else who died on September 11th in New York City. And they were initially denied. And then some years later, they tried again. There was a different ruling. And so now her disappearance, at least on paper, is uh, accepted to be that she was and she did finally get memorialized, although given that it took so much time, her family was unable to obtain any of the money that other families got for people who um, were killed you know, due to the towers collapsing. But she is now, at least in 2023, accepted to have died due to her helping others on September 11th. But it was not always that situation. Now, you should know that if you'd like a very complete, there's been what a disappeared episode. There's been, uh, I think there's been a podcast about her disappearance. We've caught, of course, have not done that. I don't know if we ever will uh, for Snia's uh, disappearance, but there's been different TV shows. Um, and, but there's a very complete, what I would call complete accounting of her disappearance uh, on the Charlie Project. Because she's still, considered to be a missing person. So if you'd like to read that, go there and you can see what my friend Mike Megan Lyon has, has written about Snea's disappearance. And you will see how it's not completely clear cut. But here are my big questions about, are we supposed to believe um, that she actually did die when the, the, when the towers collapsed? Or did she disappear for some other reason? Maybe foul play, maybe something else. I have it right here in my notes, so I'm just going to read it. So my big question is, and I don't know this. This is not a, a, a rhetorical question. This is actually an answer I hope somebody someday can answer. And it would greatly figure into my thinking about her disappearance. Were there any other doctors who were off duty at the time who lived near the towers who were proven to have died at that location on 9-11. We know that several police officers who were not on duty went down there. We know there were several firefighters uh, who went down there and helped out. 
But I'm wondering about doctors. I'm going to guess that the answer is yes, that there were doctors who lived in the area who maybe were off work or were getting off work like Snea was, saw that there was a big issue down there, decided to go down there, and maybe they also then got killed when the towers collapsed. But this then takes me to my next question, and I think it's a little bit of a problem. If this is the situation, why is Snea and Philip the only doctor missing from New York City on September 11th? If she did what a bunch of other doctors did, they're all around, you know, around the tower and they all say, oh my, oh my God, what's going on? I got to go down there, help. And a hundred of them go down there and are helping when the towers collapse and they all get killed. Why is only one of them, Snea and Philip, considered to be missing? See, this is what I think it seems to me is the flaw in believing that she died in the towers because my impression is that everybody else who went down there to help out has been documented. We know about all the the firefighters. They aren't considered to be missing. The police officers who went down there, who were off duty went down there. They aren't considering to be considered to be missing. Anybody else who could help and ran down there, drove down there, and got killed when the buildings collapsed, there aren't any mysteries regarding any of them missing that day. There's only the story of Snea and Philip being missing that day. Now, I realize that many people have never been identified. People who we know were in the towers, and there's no way probably that, that they will ever be identified. In fact, there's still many, many, many hundreds who have that we know that we're in the towers, but what they got, you know, remains just got destroyed due to the collapse and everything. We understand that it's horrible, but that's the way we have to talk about it. But still they are accepted to have been there at that time. So although yes, their remains weren't found, they're still believed to have been there. But with Snea and Philip, yes, her remains were not found there, but she was technically, I guess, not supposed to be there. And for anybody else who uh, went down there volunteering, they have been documented. They got killed, even though the remains have not been found, but they're accepted. They're not considered to be missing people. They're considered to be people who we know went down there. So why is there this big mystery with Snea and Philip? See, to me... This is the flaw in thinking that she went down there. I don't, you know, I'm not sure that uh, I have a, you know, necessarily a theory. I know some of these, you know, some people are very suspicious of her husband. And you should know there was a, an episode of Law and Order that covered this topic pretty, pretty well with a woman who uh, was murdered by her husband. And then he tried to make it look like she died. Uh, on September 11th in one of the towers. Uh, but the flaw in his plan was that she didn't have the right purse or something. And that was how uh, they were able to figure out that, yes, he had planted it and that he had actually killed her. And it was just a coincidence that the the, fa- the, the towers came down and then he came up with this plan to make it look like she was down there. So 
Um, but there are no other doctors missing from September 11th in New York City. So why is she considered to be missing? It's um, you would think if this was a thing that other doctors went missing that they would that that died on September 11th or their families were trying to prove that that they died in in, in the in the the falling of the buildings that there would be many more doctors who were in the same category as Nia Phillip, but she's the only one. So why is that? I mean, the most logical answer is that she didn't go down there. And, you know, not to mention for the people who were down there who survived, they maybe weren't close enough to the buildings or whatever else. Nobody really, I don't think anybody ever identified anybody looking like her being there. Of course, a lot of people down there, you're really going to remember that. You're going to be traumatized. The buildings are falling. Are you going to remember one person? Probably not. So maybe that. Um, so, you know, maybe that kind of works in the opposite direction. But that's my big question. We have all these other doctors who surely died down there. And it's accepted from day one that they were there. Why has this big question been around Snia and Philip? Maybe because she wasn't there. And this is just something that was cooked up afterwards. So what's everybody um, saying uh, about this? Uh, Snia, yes, I figured. Thanks. Yeah, okay. I know about that one. I thought her husband was very suspicious to her disappearance. Uh, in her disappearance. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have said that. Sheree says if she was going to help, she would have taken her glasses. Yeah, her glasses were left behind. So that was... Um, that was one of those things, Cherie, that, okay, she's at work. She had her glasses, but her glasses, I guess, ended up where? At her apartment. But there's no proof that she was ever at her apartment, um, being that there was like this dust that settled there and, um, her footprints weren't there. Uh, Charlotte agrees with Cherie. I also, uh, pro wrestling also agrees with Cherie. Uh, they really don't know that she is dead at all, right? They don't. They don't. Charlotte, that, Charlotte that's true. Uh, the pro wrestling, uh, pro wrestling says, I've never believed that Snea Phillip went to help. It's very sketchy. Um, not suggesting for a second that this is connected, but on Web Sleuth's Long Island serial killer thread, someone posted stills of someone they thought resembled Rex Herman running, running out. I'm not even going to touch that, Hazel. Charlotte, was there proof that she was at work the night of the 10th into the 11th? There was uh, for Stina Phillip. Um, yeah, I'm not touching the law. I just, that just sounds too weird to me. Rockford, the question about other doctors is one I haven't seen posed before. I haven't done a deep dive on that case, though. Not a disappearance, but the murder of Henrik Siwiak on 9-11 New York City is also interesting. I'd have to look into that. Um and then I, I think the horrific 9-11 does serve as a good distraction for murders to become lost. Yeah, maybe it was just, uh, maybe. I don't know. People, some people did that, you know, what it had to have. I mean, you know, they can, it's easy to write that for an episode of Law and Order, but to try, try to make that all work after September 11th seems like a stretch to me.
it just does. But I would just like to know more about other doctors who were at home who went down there and then died. And then what makes Snea Ann Phillip and her situation different than any of them? I don't know if we have an answer for that. But being that these other doctors, like I'm gonna, I keep saying this, being that these other doctors who surely went down there and got killed are not considered to be missing, then maybe we just need to look in a different direction for Snea's uh, disappearance. Maybe so. As far as Henrik Siwiak, uh, I'm going to look that up for a second uh, so I don't forget Rockford. Let uh, it's not uh, it's not on. Um, got a Henrik Robluski. No. Uh, he's not on the Charlie Project, uh, Rockford. So if you want to email me an article or something uh, on that, I will certainly take a look at it. I just look at the, that's a stranger in Swedish. Official last person killed in New York City on 9-11. Okay. All right. Uh, like I said, Rockford, if um, you have anything regarding that, I'll, I'll gladly take a look at it. Um. Moving on. So that's just my interpretation. So just some questions that I would like answered by someone, although I'm not sure if anybody knows those answers. All right. I'm going to now answer Charlotte's question, and I'm going to uh, make sure that other questions have not come in after the show started. So bear with me for a moment. Let's see if we got any other questions. No, just that one. And anybody else that wants to ask me any questions uh, tonight, please do. Uh, Charlotte asked me, am I a big fan of the the band Aerosmith? Uh, It's funny you're asking me that, uh, Charlotte, because Aerosmith, I think, is due to be in town here in Tampa uh, fairly soon. And in fact, I think that they were just up in my former hometown of Pittsburgh. I like Aerosmith, and I guess one of the things about Aerosmith is maybe people don't realize how popular they were and still are. I I know that when people start thinking about the best rock band or heavy metal band like American, we have to remember Rolling Stones, British, Led Zeppelin, British, Iron Maiden, British, The Who, British. British, 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 we have to remember that. So when it comes to American bands, everybody automatically thinks, thinks, thinks like Metallica. You know, huge band around for a long time, I've sold a lot. But it's very easy to forget Aerosmith and how long they were been around and how popular they were like into the in the 1970s. They were huge. They were kind of forgotten about a little bit you know of course there was led zeppelin there was black sabbath of course another british band you know uh the rolling stones all these huge rock bands acdc getting started of course kind of you know australian all these bands well you know what aerosmith was the only real rock american band 
that was as big as all of they were. Yeah, the Eagles, I don't know. I have to admit, I really don't consider Eagles to be a rock band. I'm just not a huge Eagles fan. But Aerosmith was huge. And, of course, then they had drug issues. And in the 80s, they went away for a while. And then they came back with help run DMC. And pretty much since then, although, you know, maybe you know, they're all they're not youngsters anymore. But they were huge again in the late 80s into the 90s. I mean, a totally rebirth of that band. I, I, I'm a fan of them. I'm not going to see them uh, here. I don't, I, um, I like some of their music, but it very well could be when it comes to Aerosmith that I kind of maybe got a little burnt out on them because growing up in P Pennsylvania and listening to WDVE, which still exists, 102.5 out of Pittsburgh, they played a ton of Aerosmith. And I think I just kind of uh, got a little burnout on them and I maybe still am a little burnout. And then there was that one um, album they had that was a greatest hits album that uh, a, a lot of my friends played over and over and over. I can remember one summer playing baseball, driving in a car to games, and it was like we either listened to that or the Steve Miller Band or ACDC. That's all like we listened to. And it could be because of that I got a little burned out on Aerosmith. I like their music, but not the biggest fan. And even I can say, like, even though Love in an Elevator came out right when I was, like, a junior, senior in high school and all that, not really that big uh, into them at that time. But I think their night in the stuff from the 70s is spectacular. Uh, I know, me, you know a lot of people think of, like, Dream On. It's, you know, it's a fine song. But I like um, Walking the Dog, even though that's not originally their uh, song. Uh, maybe I just like some of the songs that aren't as popular from them as maybe the things that you, you hear on the radio. So, but they were huge. They just maybe got a little covered up due to Led Zeppelin and some of these other bands, The Who and, and, and The Eagles. But they were huge. They, they've sold so much music. It's crazy. Crazy. I'd have to think that even though Metallica has been huge over the last, last 40 years, Aerosmith has been huge for the last 50 years, and they have multiple, multiple platinum albums and everything. I have to believe they've sold more music than Metallica has, even though Metallica, I think, is considered to like to be the, you know, them or the Eagles, like the greatest American band of all time. I think you might have to put Aerosmith in that conversation as well. There's no doubt, though, that Aerosmith, you know, can definitely uh, get it done. So that's kind of where I am. Uh, they're better than the Eagles. They're better than Bob Seger. They're better than Tom Petty. But in my world, they're below, um, you know, if we're going to say uh, American bands, they're below uh, Metallica in my mind. Uh, they're below, you know, a lot of other maybe um, American bands that, you know, Megadeth and, you know, it's just, maybe it's also a taste thing, but certainly, uh, Steven Tyler's fantastic lead singer, even to this day. Fantastic. Um, 
Spleeny got lost. He murdered. It's not a missing persons case. He died, right? Not a disappearance, but unusual murder for Henrik. All right. Charlotte says, I love Aerosmith. I've seen them in concert about three times. Well, they're going to be here in Tampa. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, good too. Unfortunately, GS in, in SD, uh, he was just wasn't around long enough. Uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I think he died before I was born. Uh, you know, but so, certainly great musician, but I don't know how I'm supposed to classify him, even though he was only, you know, being that he was only around for like five years. It's like, you know, trying to put, where do you put the doors and all of that? I don't know. Mark, I was listening to Aerosmith in high school and I'm coming up on my 50th class year reunion, right? Like I said, they've been around a while. A Rockford, the thing with Aerosmith is that they had that 70s run and they came back about 10 years later with a totally new sound that many old fans didn't like, kind of like Jefferson Airplane. Yeah, Jefferson Airplane sold out. My favorite Jefferson Airplane song, though, is still Jane. Um, hello, Fishing. What's going on? You're welcome, Charlotte Rockford. Pearl Jam is in the conversation. Uh, uh, not even close. I mean, I like Pearl Jam and everything, but not enough popular tunes, not enough albums sold to be considered one of the greatest American rock bands. Uh, Rockford, not not even, in my opinion, not even a conversation. But uh, I prefer Smith over Metallica, but it's a choice of musically, honestly. I prefer over uh, Charlotte says, yeah, Charles Kiss. Cannot forget Kiss. Once again, Sheree Char- uh, uh, or Ch- uh, Charlie, thank you for that Kiss. Huge. Thing about Kiss, though, is they didn't have a lot of platinum records. A lot of their go- records just went gold. You have to th- remember the thing about Kiss that they have a following. They just they don't have a, a big a following as like maybe Aerosmith or Metallica, or but the Kiss following is so loyal. So they may only have half the fans of some of these other bands, but that half is so loyal they buy everything that Kiss puts out. And I'm a huge Kiss fan too. In fact, I would put Kiss above Aerosmith just in my taste. Kiss is another level, but they quit making new music. Yeah. Okay, everybody has opinions. Some good rock. I put Hendrix and Doors in the same category as Nirvana. Just didn't last long enough. Grand Funk Railroad. And then Charlotte said Grand Funk Railroad is good too. I love their music. Yeah, once again though, you know, once it, how, how many hits did they have? How popular were they? That all figures into when you start thinking about greatest American band. Kiss is probably the most American band of all, given their outrageousness and everything being, I think of it, you know, the rest of the world try, you know, thinks about America as kind of just being over the top on so many things. Kiss probably represents the United States, the truest, <laughs> probably. But when it comes to albums sold and music sold and everything, Metallica might put Bon Jovi in there too. Bon Jovi, uh, the Eagles, Aerosmith, as far as album sales and popularity of their music overall, all of those bands dwarf Kiss, even though Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons have way more money than any of those people. So there you go. All right, great topic. I could tell you, uh, maybe I should do a rock and roll podcast. Okay, moving on. I have an update for all of you. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Johannes Kadane who was this uh, guy got hired by Netflix. He went up to San Jose and then disappeared. 
and some of his items were found at the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, his body has been found. I'll just read this article to you. The body of a Netflix engineer went missing last month soon after moving to San Jose has been found in the San Francisco Bay. The remains of Johannes Stefanos Kadani Kadane, 22, were found in the waters of San Francisco Bay near the Golden Gate Bridge by a boat on August 29th, the Marin County Sheriff's Office said in a news release Wednesday. The remains exhibited signs of advanced decomposition, prolonged exposure to the aquatic environment, and appreciable depredation. The subject's remains were unidentifiable and unknown at the time of his death pronouncement without any identification loaded upon, located upon this person. The U.S. Coast Guard removed Cadane from the water. On August 31st, the body was positively identified as Cadane, and on Friday, a forensic postmortem examination determined the exact cause of death. The cause of death was determined to be from blunt impact injuries with drowning as a significant contributing condition. The mode of death was determined to be suicide. Police had previously said they found no sign of a crime in his disappearance. Gadane, a native of Webster, New York, had gone missing on August 14th. After moving to the Bay Area for a job with Netflix, Gadane had taken a rideshare service from San Jose to San Francisco, where he was last seen. Some of his belongings had been found at the scene. Uh, I have to admit this. I guess this ended up being a little more straightforward than I had predicted from a couple uh, weeks ago. And maybe I just got a little too tricky and maybe outthinking myself on this. I thought there might have been the idea that, you know, he just didn't want to do that and wanted to do something else with his life. Uh, I guess we now know that that was not the situation, that, yes, he did go to the bridge, and, yes, he did jump. Now, the big question is, why did it take from August 14th to August 29th to find his body? That's 15 days. I don't know. Um, I just don't, although I know certainly a lot, having watched a documentary on people who jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, I don't know a lot about, and I do know a lot about how many people are found. In fact, most people who jump off the bridge are found. We maybe got into this when we covered the disappearance of Sean Dickerson. But I, I'm, I'm unclear on when somebody does jump, how long it takes to find that body. Is 15 days a long time? I don't know. Maybe that's the average time. Maybe that's short. Maybe that's a long, maybe it's a lot longer. I don't know. Perceptually, that sounds like a long time. You would think somebody jumps, and with all the boats and everything going under the bridge, you would think that uh, the body would be found sooner. But maybe it sunk to the bottom, then because of the gases that are created in the body, it rose again. I guess I could be open to that. Now, uh, somebody, though, did... Uh, post something or maybe message me about, you know, the blunt force trauma, you know, questioning that. And we have to remember something. When people jump off bridges, the cause of death, although, yes, they may technically end up drowning, the real cause of death is when they hit the water. The problem is that when you get up to a speed, now, of course, you, you can jump off a diving board. It's 10 feet. No problem. We know you can jump into water from, you know, 10 feet, you even going head first. As long as the water's plenty deep, there aren't going to be any injuries. 
The issue is, though, is when you start choosing a much, much, much higher height and the speed at which you're going to hit the water. And that's why you can do a cannonball into your pool just jumping off the ledge into the pool. You can do a cannonball even probably from a diving board that's 10 feet over the water. You do not want to do a cannonball if you're jumping from 50 feet into the water. Because you want at that point, you want to be as aerodynamic or water dynamic as possible. Because by that time, all that time you spend following, falling, you're accelerating. And it gets to the point where you, when you jump off a bridge like the Golden Gate Bridge, you reach what is called terminal velocity. That you're so high above the water, it's like jumping out of an airplane. You have to realize when you jump out of an airplane, it's not like you get faster, 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 you know, just the further you go. You get to a point where aerodynamics take over. And you can't fall any faster than even if you're pointing down. There's just a point at which you can't go any faster due to air resistance. Well, given that the Golden Gate Bridge is that high, that's kind of like what it's like. It's no different than jumping out of a plane when you're going to hit that water. And, of course, the issue is that when you're going that fast, the water molecules can't get out of your way fast enough. Because, remember... Water, although it's a liquid, when it's compressed, it becomes a solid. And so what happens is you're going so fast that when you hit the water, the water can only compress and get out of the way so fast. And so essentially, it's no different than you hitting concrete. Even though it's water and you see it moving and the waves and all that stuff, if you're going at 130 miles an hour, Uh, hitting the water, it's like hitting concrete. And so that is what kills people when they jump off high bridges like the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, very well maybe sometimes, depending, they don't necessarily die, but with the flood, you know, they're knocked out or whatever, then they drown. But surely the cause of death is hitting the water. Because even if they were to be rescued right at that point, the, the, the chances of survival are very low. Although there is a story of one guy who did jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, lived and lived to tell a story. And he did it because he was suicidal. And if you ever see the interview with him, uh, what he says is, you know, a suicidal, my life was in a bad place, really did not ever, get, you know, and I just wanted to end my life. And he said as soon as he left the railing and was headed toward the water, he said, why am I doing this? I can fix all of this. Why, am I, why did I just leave that railing when I suddenly realized, you know what, all of this is fixable? Now, he was lucky to live, but it does occur to me for all these other people who jumped, is that what occurred to them as well? At some point after jumping off the railing off the Golden Gate Bridge or wherever, that on the way down, they, they thought, why am I doing this? All of this is fixable, but then it was too late. I wonder. I really, it's creepy. It really creeps me out thinking about that. But that's what he said in that interview, that as soon as I left the railing, I thought, 
you know what? Maybe my life wasn't so bad. It's, it's just, uh, just a mind blower. A mind blower. So uh, let me read uh, so what's everybody saying. Going back to the music. Rockford Oaks uh, says, Grateful Dead. That's certainly, uh, certainly uh, a little more of a cultish band. I, I don't know how many records and albums and things they sold. They certainly, maybe they're a little more like Kiss uh, in that they just have a very strong following. Okay. Not a big Grateful Dead fan. The Dead may not have had the album sales, but I bet they sold more tickets compared to what. Yeah, that's probably true, given the people that followed them around, surely. It's great when a missing person's case is resolved, but when they're found deceased, it's just, I know, breaks your heart, bro. I get it. Rockford, the case makes me think about Sydney West. Did you catch the new Disappeared episode on her? No. First time, 45 minutes, very well done. The last 15 was awful. I did not see it, Rockford. Charlotte, there's a girl who's missing, and they last saw her on the Golden Gate Bridge, but they don't have any proof she jumped off. I know that story too, Charlotte. I might have talked about that on a past live show. Rockford, yep. Have seen all the new disappeared episodes. Of course, Sydney West, Kathy says, clearly jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge on that foggy morning. Rockford disappeared episode lost me when the West family PI mentioned human trafficking as a good possibility. Seriously. Then they went through some unlikely sightings. They wanted to take seriously. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte says, I'm not sure she dumped off Rockford trafficking off the golden gate bridge. That is really grasping straws. Rockford agrees. I know that the bridge and I sure know, know that fog athletic girl like her could have been over certain parts of that bridge very quickly. And someone five yards behind couldn't see it. Why haven't they found her body? Uh, not sure. Charlotte Rockford, uh, the pro Ed, very creepy, but I would guess that go through people's minds as soon as they let go. Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. You know, you think about these people who committed suicide and you think, well, they, you know, they had the same thought in their mind to the moment that they died. And I think what this guy is showing is that maybe many people don't. That they're suicidal in the moment. And then they have a change of heart, but then it's too late. And you really, really start to wonder how many people who commit suicide go through that. And it's just, it's too late. They've, they've already, now people maybe who are choking themselves or uh, overdosing with drugs or something, I suppose if that goes through their mind, you know, maybe they could stop choking themselves or they could throw up or something like that. But for people who put, uh, give their control to gravity, you know, there's no going back. Um, so there you go. So that is um, that story. And, you know, and then now that I'm looking at my notes a little more. Um, I was talking to my friend Foster Boom last t- Tuesday night. And Foster is a, a woman, by the way. And uh, we worked at Star Trek. She's been a, uh, one of my closest friends for over 20 years now. And we we have two friend mutual friends who have committed suicide. Two, I says ex coworkers at Star Trek who committed suicide. And we were particular in well, we talked about both of them on Tuesday night, but we talked most about the one who committed suicide this year. And we're talking about how so often when we think about suicide, we think about things that you know people commit suicide because of something that recently happened. 
something that happened within this past few days or the past week or past month. But in talking about this guy who she knew him a lot better than I did, but I, you know, I, and really I only worked with him a bit at Star Trek, but uh, we talked about how most likely the reason he committed suicide in 2023 is because of something that happened over 20 years ago. And he, he just never, never, ever shook it. And I don't really want, I'm not going to give you his name. I'm not going to give you the circumstances, but he might have uh, felt partially responsible for what happened. And all these years later could just could never shake it, could never get his life back in order. And that's why he committed suicide this year. So this is something else to think about. We talk about suicide on Unfound. Not sure how many disappearances we've covered where that was actually the you know the the cause or the result. We just don't know because these people haven't been found. Of course, we know with like Devin Bond, we know he committed suicide. Very sad. But maybe we shouldn't always uh, take for granted that if people commit suicide, it's just something that happened recently. It very well could be something that they've been dealing with for years and just finally could not hold on any longer. Um, uh, yeah, Rockford, lack of bodies, similar to Jesse Ross in Lake Michigan. Lots of reasons bodies don't turn up. Uh, Shortly moved to Car- Car- North Carolina, but she moved back to California to go to college. Melly says, I, I lost a great friend to a suicide just this last week. Melly, I'm so sorry. Uh, Charlotte does seem like she wasn't happy though. I found out only a couple days ago for the real says that an ex of mine committed suicide a few years ago. Can't believe how many people I've known who've gone like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sharice reminding all of you 14 to 16 of you haven't watched hit the like button. What are you doing out there? If you are on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, no excuses. Got to hit the thumbs up. You know, I have to admit, using a StreamYard these days, I can't see how many people have liked uh, the video and stuff. So, Sheree, thank you for uh, letting me know. Thank you. But everybody, uh, hit that like button. And once again, please think about contributing by hitting the join button below or hitting the super chat button uh, before we are done tonight. Charlotte, I've, my friend attempted suicide years ago, but he changed his mind, yelled for a mom to call an ambulance. My brother, uh, so he did, and they had to operate on his wrist. Wow. Rockford says, wow, YouTube filter of certain S-word not functioning tonight, apparently. Maybe they came to their sentences. Not sure about that, Rockford. Uh, we, we encountered that last night, of course, during the think tank. There's just certain words that if you write them, it just won't post. Uh, the real, just on things that recently happened, being the cause, I've also found out that he recently had his leg amputated. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Sheree um. says, lost my uncle to suicide very hard on the people left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just so that's, it looks like that is what happened to this uh, guy. Went the whole way from New York to San Jose for a job. And then I guess jumped off the bridge. I, I don't know if we'll ever be able to make sense of that. 
Moving on, uh, Sheree uh, brought it up to me uh, as she sees things like this, that uh, I think for the first time, Unfound has been mentioned on Wikipedia. And I have to admit, it's not for the disappearance or disappearances that I would have thought. Um, I don't think Unfound is mentioned on the Janelle Matthews page. I don't think, uh, is there a Tom Brown Wikipedia page? I don't even know. You'd think that Unfound might get a mention there. But actually, Unfound has popped up on the Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman page. And I really don't even know when this happened. I have to, I, I, I guess I've been to that Wikipedia page before, but surely not recently. But Sheree, I, I'm not even sure how you uh, came upon that. But if you go to uh, Wikipedia and you look up the disappearances of Laura, Nash, Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, you will find that somebody put in there that, uh, what was it, 2018, that I interviewed Laura's mother for an episode, of course, of this, of this podcast. So whoever entered that in there, uh, I thank that person. I did not do it. I don't think any of my assistants did it. Maybe, um, maybe Misty did. I have to talk to her about that. But uh, if any of my assistants did that, that's news to me. So I'm not, not sure what to think about it. Now, what's funny is that although I didn't personally try to do this, try to do this recently, um, maybe the the first few years of Unfound, I did try to start a wikipedia page for unfound and it got rejected and then i tried to um add some information on wikipedia to some of these disappearances that are on wikipedia that unfound is covered that got all got rejected too (laughs) so i'm not sure how somebody uh figured out the code there the secret uh formula for getting something approved on there that had anything to do with unfound but uh, you should know, though, because of this and being that Shri was the one um, to uh, let me know uh, that now I've put it kind of in Shri's hands. If she'd like to attempt to add unfound information to some of those Wikipedia pages, um, uh, she can do that. Uh, but I've actually given her a, a couple of places, a couple of disappearances that we've covered that she might want to start on. Um, but we're not maybe going to make that public just right at this moment. So we'll see how that goes, Cherie, and see if your work there gets accepted. And then if it does, uh, maybe we can start thinking about branching out a little bit more. Of course, not all of the, the disappearances we've covered on Unfound are on Wikipedia. In fact, my impression is it's very few. I would be surprised if it's even 10%. For it to be a... A disappearance that makes it onto Wikipedia it really has to have its own kind of uh, weight or gravity or tension or, or something like that. Um, and we haven't c- covered a ton of disappearances like that. So um, giving uh, Shri a, a little bit of instruction on that, and we will see how it goes. And maybe if it goes well, I suppose then I will start thinking about creating uh unfound the wikipedia page for unfound the podcast there are other true crime podcasts that have wikipedia pages so that I, i'm not uh, that's not a crazy idea 
So let me see. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, there's Shri saying the reason I was even on that page is because I was trying to remember Ronnie Busick's name. Of course, he's still the only living suspect or murderer of Laura Bible, Ashley Freeman and the Freeman parents. I was thinking it was maybe Natasha. Maybe Natasha did it. I don't think so. Don't know. I could ask her. I still talk to her once in a while. Sheree, I have to remember to do that. That's that. I, that's not something I considered. Rockford, one good tidbit from the disappeared episode is Sydney got concussion from jumping from a high place into a body of water, despite being scared, not being warned not to. But the PI says it's trafficking. So there you go. Yeah. Private investigators. Useless. Useless. The pro, that case was botched from the get-go. They left the body behind. Authorities handling the case were either incompetent or there was a cover-up. Yeah, Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, a lot of incompetence there, the pro. Um, You're right, Rockford. She got the concussion from jumping off a high place into water. So, yeah. So why then shouldn't she jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? Um, And they're still talking about that. Okay. Let me move on to a couple other things. Uh, next Wednesday, uh, September 20th, I'll be going to Florida Southern uh, to do a presentation. And I'm very excited that I got a response from USF, which is the local large university here in Tampa. And somebody got back to me, and we I'll be doing maybe more than a presentation there. There might even be like a kind of a, um, a forum. Uh, there is a professor at USF in the criminology department who has written a book that is fairly uh, negative toward the whole true crime culture. And so maybe she and I will do kind of a uh, kind of, de- of a debate on that or, or something. They have also have a criminology club there. So it sounds to me like I am going to be appearing at USF, University of South Florida, one of their campuses. They have a campus over here in Pinellas County where I live, but the main campus is over there um, kind of uh, north of Tampa. So it seems that something's going to go on with USF, just not sure what, but it seems to me it's going to be more than me just showing up and doing a presentation to uh, some students. We'll see. But that is what I will be doing at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida, next Wednesday morning. Going to have to get up early for that to get over there before all the traffic gets crazy because I have to go right through Tampa to get there. Um, Mary, hello, Mary. While listening earlier about the woman from New York apparently lost in the Twin Towers rubble, where earlier I was telling my fiancé about this exact case, uh, suspicious and sad it is. And I guess you also heard what I had to say about it, Mary, is that why is she the only doctor that's considered missing if so many doctors did go down to September, uh, down to the that site that day? Maybe it could be because she is the one who didn't go down to the towers that day. Just an idea. Um, uh, moving on, do I, I have another story that, uh, I want to cover here. What is it? I want to talk about Crystal Rogers. Uh, this is not a disappearance that we've covered on Unfound. I realize many of you know more about her disappearance than I do. 
Not sure if we ever will cover her disappearance. Um, I don't think that myself or my assistant Emily has ever reached. I know I haven't. I don't think that my assistant Emily has ever reached out to her family. So it just, just hasn't maybe been on the agenda. But I'm sure some of you know that there has been a development. And so I'm just going to read this article now. And I just have some comments. Eight years after Crystal Rogers, a mother of five, vanished from her Kentucky home without a trace during the 4th of July weekend of 2015, a man has been charged in connection with her disappearance and murder. Joseph L. Lawson, 32 years old, was indicted on charges of criminal conspiracy to commit murder and complicity in tampering with physical evidence, according to Nelson County Circuit Court documents. The charge of conspiracy to commit murder was filed on July 24th and the charge of tampering with evidence in June. Through, though the indictment did not mention Rogers by name, it said that on July 3rd, 2015 and or July 4th, 2015, the above named defendant committed the offense of criminal conspiracy to commit murder when with the intention of promoting or facilitating the crime, when he agreed to aid one or more persons in the planning or commission of the crime or an attempt or solicitation to commit the crime when he and or a conspirator intentionally caused the death of another. Wow. The law is so complicated. Lawson was arraigned Thursday. So was it just this Thursday or maybe a week and a half ago? Whereas the, his indictment was read out, read out and the court entered a plea of not guilty for him. His bond was set forth at $500,000 cash. An attorney for Lawson, Kevin Coleman declined to comment. He's due back in court on October 26th for a pretrial conference. NBC affiliate WLEX of Lexington spoke with Rogers' grandfather, Till Ballard, who confirmed that the FBI contacted relatives to let them know about Lawson's arrest. Rogers had not been seen or heard from since the evening of July 3rd, 2015. That day, a red Chevy Impala was found abandoned with a flat tire at mile marker 14 on the Bluegrass Parkway, with her keys, phone, and purse inside. Her mother reported her missing two days later. Brooks Hawk, Roger's boyfriend at the time of her disappearance, was named a suspect by police in October 2015, as he was one of the last people to see her at the Bardstown home where they lived with their young son. He has never been charged. In announcing Hawk was a suspect, Nelson County Sheriff Ed Mattingly said he believed Rogers was dead. Her body has not been found. Over a year after Rogers vanished, her father, Tim, Tommy Ballard, and this was news to me, was shot and killed by an unknown assailant on his family's property in November 2016 as he was preparing to go hunting, according to the FBI in Louisville. His case remains unsolved as well. FBI Louisville took over, or Laurelville, took over the investigation to her whereabouts in August 2020. On July 3rd, the 8th anniversary of her disappearance, the agency tweeted, it made significant process in bringing this case to its rightful conclusion. We continue to pursue every available lead until those responsible for Crystal's disappearance are held accountable. FBI Louisville said at the time, the FBI office declined to comment on Lawson's arrest. For years, Rogers' murder went unsolved. The case was transferred from the Nelson County Sheriff's Office to the Kentucky State Police before it was landed in the hands of the FBI. In January, Attorney General Daniel Cameron appointed a special prosecutor to investigate Rogers and Ballard's deaths. 
In October, the FBI searched a farm in Bardstown that was one of the last places Rogers was seen alive before vanishing. That farm is owned by the family of Hawk, Rogers' then boyfriend. Now, I think it was my assistant, Cherie, of course, moderator of this live show, let me know that this was going on. And I kind of knew about this, but once I read the the page on Charlie Project, it kind of reminded me, and I even kind of uh, dark humor here. Uh, I said, I think back to Sheree, Sheree can verify this, is something I said, you know, well, they, you know, they, you know, it seems like everybody in Bardstown has been charged with this at one time or another. And if you go to the Charlie Project page, I think right now on September 11th of 2023, you will see, see many different men's named as suspects in Crystal's disappearance. Well, guess what? This Joseph Lawson guy isn't named at all. So I guess he must be somebody new. But, you know, once again, looking at this from a guy who has covered over 300 disappearances in the past seven years, what exactly are we talking about here? Um, did Crystal car break down and did she call, you know, she got this nail in her tire and she called Joseph to come pick her up and something happened then. Or remember her car had a nail in the tire and I'm not inclined to believe that this is something like her car was tampered with. So it would, you know, go to the side of the road. So somebody could do something to it because putting a nail in a tire you know, you're never sure how that's going to go. I mean, many of us know you can have a nail in your tire and the tire never go flat. I mean, the 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 um, nail is so into the tire and the seal is so good, the hardly ever lose any air. And maybe some of you are even thinking about Sue Swindell. Remember, somebody tampered with her radiator of her car, whereas that is much uh, a much better way to disable a car than putting a nail in a tire. For sure. It's not even close. Give us a, as a guy who used to be a gearhead. So what exactly are we then thinking? Are we then thinking that Crystal Rogers got killed somewhere else and then somebody took her car and then the tire flattened while the person was driving the car? Is that what happened? It's just hard to tell. I even read this. Her maroon uh, four doors, 2007 Chevy Impala was abandoned on July 5th near mile marker 14 on the Bluegrass High Parkway near Elizabethtown, Kentucky. It had a flat tire and the doors were unlocked. Rogers' keys, cellular phone, purse, and other personal belongings were still inside it, and the phone's battery was dead. Rogers' loved ones said she rarely traveled to that area. Uh, the living boyfriend, Brooks Hawk, was the last person to see her. He stated he went to bed at 11 p.m. the night before, and Rogers was still awake at the time using her phone. When he woke up, she was gone. So, you know, we're then thinking that the car was made to look like it was broken down um, on purpose. So somebody drove it to that location, then nailed a... Uh, you know, put a nail into the tire to make the tire go down to make it look like she broke down. Maybe that's some thinking. Let me see what everybody is saying here. Um, uh, Mary, going back to Snea Phillips, 
Exactly. Leaves a funny taste in my mouth to lump her in with 9-11. Indeed, quite a lot of people down there that did not go missing. Right. The pro, her dad was shot with his young grandson there with him. Just brutal. Oh, so Crystal Rogers. So there was somebody else there when the father was shot. Oh, my goodness. I'm very familiar with these Bardstown murders. Okay. Uh, thank you, Charlotte. Shreef, FBI was able to connect Lawson. Now they need Lawson to connect Huck. It won't be long. All right, Sheree. You heard it here first from Sheree. Um, Mary says, Crystal Rogers' case and her father's too. Many deaths such connected to not be connected. I've looked into this one a lot. There have been a, a number of suspects. I think her husband was involved. Okay. Charlotte, all those Bardstown murders need to be solved, starting with the police officer. Okay. Uh, Bardstown. Yeah, that's where that guy – was that – was that the, the place where the guy got shot taking, like, the limb off the, the road? That's that same area, right? That is the same place. Wow. Um, I'm so out of it on some of these things. Sheree, he was mentioned in the interrogation video the week after Crystal disappeared. Okay, thank you, Sheree. Uh, that was a fake breakdown, I believe. I don't think Crystal was not in that car when it broke down. The pro, Charlotte, I've always felt it was a stage breakdown as well. Uh, I don't, yeah, okay, got you, sure. Shree, she was not, she never left the farm. Uh, Shree, the father was shot in the back of the head. That is, so he shot execution style with his grandson there, Shree. Bardstown, Kentucky. What the heck is going on there? What is going on there? So, like I said, I realize some of you uh, know all about all of this uh, much better than I do. Uh, you know, I'm just telling you, it, it's it's weird to me that all these other guys have been mentioned, but Joseph Lawson, Lawson not all, at least in the official account, Sheree is saying that he did get mentioned in that first interrogation video, but I, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, we're like eight years later. Um, maybe somebody can tell me, um, how did Crystal even know Joe Lawson? These are just some questions. I, you know, I, once again, I realize some of you know this more than I do, so you can just put it in the chat. How did Chris? How did Crystal know Joseph Lawson? Um, what does anybody know about Joseph Lawson? And did Joseph Lawson know Crystal's father too? Those are some questions. Um, you know, did Joseph come along after a car broke down by accident? Uh, and I just have it written here. My perception is this is far from over. <laughs> Although some of you think it's close to being over, I have the impression it's far from over. And, you know, this also seems to me like, man, a lot of guys have been mentioned here. I mean, why would all of them conspire to kill her? Could not just have one guy done this on his own? I, I think that the... Uh, Charlie Project page has four different guys mentioned. Does it really take four different guys? And we include Joseph Lawson. That's five. Does it take five guys to kill one woman? Does it? I don't think it does. So I'm thinking there might be a flaw in here somewhere. I can certainly maybe believe one or two of them responsible, but... Why five? That seems like a lot. Um, let's see here. Uh, 
Uh, Mary's uh, verifying what he said. Yes, tree in the road. Awful. I do remember the case, but I don't have perfect memory. Yes, her boyfriend was a town cop. And from what I've heard, he's not been that helpful, and I would not move there. Uh, good idea, Mary. Uh, the, the father was shot from a distance. So he shot in the back of the head from a distance with his grandson. All right. Thank you. So it was not execution style. It was like from a, a distance away. All right. Uh, Lawson's dad was a renter of the Hucks. Okay. Thank you, Cherie. Mary. It was one of the first cases that I looked deeply into, and I'm still shocked it's not solved. I don't know about Jason Lawson. I'm behind. All right, Mary. All right. So we've got Joseph Lawson. I'm just, it just seems so complicated. Rockford says, yeah, well, you can, uh, I guess you'll just get to add some other place to the list now, Rockford, maybe like Lawrence, Kansas or something. Um, I only joke about Lawrence, Kansas, because that was the location for the uh, movie the day after that, the movie about a nuclear war from the 1980s, Lawrence, Kansas. And that is also where I stayed when I was moving to Las Vegas. I I I got to Lawrence, Kansas. That's where I spent my first night in a hotel in Lawrence, Kansas. So it always sticks in my my name from that movie the day after and then me staying there uh, a night in Lawrence, Kansas at a hotel before I continued my journey on I-70 uh, to Las Vegas. So Lawrence, Kansas always sticks in my head. Um, Mary, probably because her boyfriend cop is trying to throw it onto everyone but himself. Just seems like a lot of a lot of different guys here to kill one woman. Uh, uh, if anybody knows about how one guy can make a woman disappear, it's myself and all of you who listen to Unfound. I mean, how many disappearances have we covered like that where we believe that the husband all alone made his wife disappear? So it's kind of probably why my mind goes in that direction and thinking five men sounds like a lot. I think maybe I could get to two Maybe three. Other any more than that, I'm gonna start thinking something doesn't something about the theory uh doesn't seem right. All right, I'm gonna uh go to uh being that this is September eleventh and uh you know it's now known as a terrorism day in the United States. I want to talk about this story. Speaking of bombings. More than 50 years after a bombing at the University of Wisconsin left one student dead. The FBI has released age-progressed photos on the suspect in its quest for more tips from the public. Leo Frederick Burt, who was 22 at the time and is now would now would be in his 70s, is wanted for his role in the August 24th, 1970s, so I would have not even been a month old, bombing at the University of Wisconsin Sterling Hall, you can actually look this up on Wikipedia, which was intended to destroy the Army Mathematics Research Center at the school in protest of the Vietnam War. The blast from the explosion combined with the fire resulted in the death of a 33-year-old researcher. Additionally, there were several injuries reported and an estimated $6 million damage to the building and its contents. Remember, that's in $6 million in 1970s money. Reportedly, explosives had been placed in a stolen panel truck located three blocks from the building just several days before the blast. In 2010, press release offering $150,000 reward for Burt's arrest, the FBI described the bombing as a largest act of terrorism in U.S. history at the time until the Oklahoma City bombing 25 years later. Burt was identified as being one of the passengers in a light-colored Chevy Corvair 
Remember those. Seen leaving the vicinity of the university bombing. Three other suspects, Carleton Armstrong, Dwight Armstrong, and David Fine, were arrested in connection with the attack. The group called themselves the New York's Gang. Bert, an aspiring journalist who also went by the alias Eugene Donald Fieldston, has yet to be captured 53 years later. Scott Decker, the former FBI special agent uh, on the investigation into the 2001 anthrax attacks, likened Bert and his alleged crime to those of the Weather Underground, a far-left militant organization that was active in the 1970s. Back in the early 70s, you caught a lot of these characters, the Weather Underground. Bert wasn't named as the Weather Underground, but there are a lot of similarities between what he did and what the Weather Underground was doing across the country, the bombings and even the use of fake IDs. Decker further explained the FBI likely released New Age progression photos of Bert in an effort to bring renewed light to the case and seek more help from the public. The agency caught Whitey Bulger uh, in California in 2011 after releasing an age-progressed photo of what he might have looked like in 2004. I think the age progression on this is pretty reliable, so it'll definitely generate phone calls. I'm sure if they can get it on America's Most Wanted on TV, it'll bring back into the public eye and with a picture of what he looks like now. If he's in a shelter or if he's a security guard somewhere, it's likely to generate a phone call. Burt was federally indicted in Madison less than 10 days after the bombing on September 2nd, 1970, and charged with sabotage, destruction of government, property, and conspiracy. He was also considered, he's been considered a fugitive ever since. Possible Burt sightings have been reported everywhere from a homeless encampment in Denver to a resort in Costa Rica. He has ties to New York City, Boston, and Peterborough in Ontario, Canada. Peterborough, I know that town well. It's near Rice Lake. I've uh, been to that city many, many times when I've been to Canada. Retired Special Agent Kent Miller, who led the search for Bert for several years, said in 2010 that he doesn't believe the fugitive is still living in the United States. I don't think he's living in the U.S., and, I think, and if he's alive, he's got to be worried every day that he's going to slip up and get caught. There's no way to live. That's no way to live. Now, what's interesting about this is that although these all, got, all these guys were Americans, um, all four of them did flee to Canada. And what's also interesting about this, these three other guys were caught in Canada eventually. And the irony about all of this is that if this Leo Burt guy would have been caught back then, the longest term any of these guys who ended up being caught was seven years. So if Leo Burt, hadn't owned up to it or gotten caught sometime in the mid seventies, he would have gone to jail and probably gotten out of jail sometime in the 1980s. And he would not have to be, if he's still alive, he would not have to be on the run here in 2023. And you should know, of course, the charges against him, there's no statute of limitations on some of these things. It's not like he stole a car. So, um, this is what I find interesting about this is that the you know people who do go on the run sometimes it might have just been better had they just gotten caught and done their time and then gotten out and been able to live their life without having to look over their shoulder. Now, is Leo Burt still alive? Statistically, when it comes to men and how they age, statistics say he probably is not. The average age of a guy living in the United States is like 72. 
He would be uh, much older than that at this point. And given maybe the stress that he would be under of getting caught and worried about, you know, if he goes in and, uh, you know, goes in for some medical procedure, are they going to figure out who he is? And especially now in the era of of DNA since the mid-90s, he might have to worry about that. And then even more recently with uh, 23andMe and everything else, he might have to worry about that. I have to tell you that I'm not inclined to believe that he probably is still alive. And in fact, I think at least one of these other guys who, who was also took part in this died at like at the age of 58 or something. So I just don't think we can be too sure that uh, this guy is even still alive. But I think what it also shows is that, you know, if you're motivated, you can disappear and not get caught. Now, of course, three of these guys were not successful. I don't know the circumstances uh, under what, why they were caught, that they give themselves up. They figured out that being on the run is just going to be too difficult. Did one of their family members give them up? I don't know. But there were four of them. Three of them got caught. The other three went to jail. They eventually got out of jail and went on with their lives. But there's still this Leo Burke guy who's, if he went to jail, he didn't go to the jail under the name of Leo Burt. And so I guess it can be done. So let me uh, read what everybody is saying here. Um, Sheree says, when Brooks was supposed to be in the truck with Crystal, he received a call at midnight from Lawson. There's only been one guy arrested. And he probably helped move the car. So there's a connection there, Mary. Now I'm going to have to look back into that case again and the Joseph Lawson connection. You do that, Mary. The press, $6 million in 1970. Well, that's an insane amount of damage 15 years before I was born. Yeah, you just really just times everything by 10. So that would be $60 million now, the pro. Charlotte, they did a lot of damage in New York City and other places too, the weather underground. Yeah, a lot of bombings and stuff. Seven years, holy, why run? They have to abide by the laws from 1970. In this case, they would. Yeah, seven years does not sound like enough for blowing a you know, building up and killing somebody. I agree with you. I, I you know, in contrast, uh, Timothy McVeigh got the death penalty, which of course he should have gotten. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not a big death penalty guy, but either way, he got the maximum penalty. Um, uh, Rockford, what gets me is all this talk about social unrest in 2020 and deteriorating California cities now, and that's fine, but compared to the 70s with the SLA and bombs and hijackings, no comparison. Rockford, it, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, it's amazing how quickly we forget uh, things that are in the recent past. Uh, and you're all right. Um, you know, this is something that I talk about with some of my friends, some of my friends privately over messenger. And I continue to state, you know, my attitude regarding everything is if you want to be alive in the United States, you want to be alive right now. You wouldn't want to be alive in the 1860s, no matter if you were white or any other color due to the civil war. Or the 1980s, 1870s, or 1880s, or 1890s, and anything else. The best time to be alive in the United States is right now. 
Just remember that. That's my that's my uh, American stance uh, for today. Charlotte, it feels to me like it's much worth now in California and on the West Coast. Charlotte, worse in California for what? Uh, yeah, Mary, sorry, this is off topic, but since you're a smart guy, so many witnesses say say saying the following and describe explosive having after the plane said, "I'm just Mary, I'm just not even." It's Mary, just don't fall into that stuff. It's crazy. Uh, suddenly, everybody's an engineering expert. What those explosions were, were all of those welds and rivets and everything exploding under the stress. I mean, you know, once again, there are people out there that will tell you any crap that people want to hear. Nothing. You know, I mean, what, you know, what, how did people sneak into those buildings and set all the, do you know how hard it is? I mean, for, for all of you, I'm not. Do you know how hard it is to wire a building to collapse? It takes weeks, months with nobody in the building and everything else. It's crazy. It's crazy. Sheree, Ed, have you been keeping up with the escaped convict? A little bit, a little bit. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. The deterioration cities, which cities, the wildfires. The real, the Salem witch trials wouldn't have been too good, and they would have come after me for sure. Okay, the real. All right, so Mary, I put no stock in that. Nothing. Case closed. Case closed. And that includes that other building that then ended up collapsing later. Case closed. It was the planes hitting the, the thing. The, the metal getting weak and it, it just succumbing to the stress. You know, it's crazy. But once again, people, you know, love the attention they get. I mean, there's people out there who believe the earth is flat too. They do it because they get the attention. All right, this Friday, we're going to my home state of Pennsylvania, but eastern Pennsylvania, to Tamaqua. For the disappearance of Jesse Farber, F-A-R-B-E-R, he is on the Charlie Project. He is on NamUs. He went missing on August 11th, 2015, and his girlfriend, Rachel Carroll, is the guest. And I think that this disappearance kind of goes into that category of like Brandon Lawson or Brandon Swanson, where all of these men made phone calls before they went missing saying that something was going on, but there are probably reasons not to believe that they, to believe that they weren't telling the truth with Jesse. He made a call to Rachel, who is the guest saying that he was up on this mountain that night and there were coyotes after him. And, for her to bring guns. She immediately got her brother. They went up to where Jesse said he was and they could not find Jesse and he has never been seen again. So uh, we're going to get in all to that kind of this idea. We just have to remember sometimes missing people before they go missing aren't telling the truth for whatever sort of reasons, kind of what we're going to get into in this episode. So once again, Jesse Farber, uh, Tamaqua, Pennsylvania, August 11th, 2015 is when he went missing. His girlfriend, Rachel, Rachel is not considered to be uh, a suspect in his disappearance. And the reason she is the guest and not somebody in Jesse's actual biological family is because I made the determination that she knew more about Jesse than any of they did. 
any of any of them. In addition, she was the last person to talk to Jesse, and, and she is the one who runs a Facebook page and everything else. So there you go. So that is tonight's show. Um, let's see what everybody's saying. Good night. Charlotte, thanks for explaining. Uh, the pro, the girlfriend is the guest. This sounds like a very interesting podcast coming up. I think every one of them is interesting, the pro. Mary, in the case from today, the two-part one, it's so well done. Uh, thank you, uh, Mary. Appreciate that. And that's all I have for tonight. Uh, once again, remember to give this video a thumbs up before you leave. Keep your heads on swivels. Think about contributing to Unfound since we have such great content. And you will hear me on Friday for the disappearance of Jesse Farber. Good night, everyone. Thank you, everybody. And Charlie, say hi to the boys for me.